And God saith, the man shall not lie down with the fox. (laughs) (laughs) How many times have I heard that one? Yeah, that's why I gave up on those I like what you did there with that segue. (laughs) Welcome to School of Movies. Disney's Robin Hood. From Walt Disney Home Video comes the summer's best Robin Hood adventure with America's most popular hero. It's Robin Hood I want! Walt Disney's Robin Hood. Oh, he's so handsome. He's the cutest and foxiest Robin Hood ever. And kids got class. This summer, give your family an adventure they'll never forget. Walt Disney's Robin Hood on video cassette. Capture the fun today. What are we waiting for? Join Blockbuster Video and Disney at the Fox 43 Balloon Classic, October 19th and 20th. To start us off, here is the section we recorded with Daniel Floyd several years ago for our long-term series of Disney shows. After that, we'll be back with more in-depth discussion. Now, what we've just said actually applies across the board to a lot of the films we're going to be covering, so we won't need to spend quite so long on them. Robin Hood, 1973. Has Phil Harris. He's wonderful. It's light, it's funny, it's zippy, it whips along, it's kind of ineffectual, um, and there you have it. What did you think of Robin Hood, Matt? Uh, Dan? I like it better than the Aristocats, for sure. It's mm, Me too. You can definitely feel it's low budget, and it's very simple, but where there's, where there's not a whole lot of danger or tension or threat, and it's still, it's still very light, I at least appreciate that the villain characters, Prince John and Hiss, are... Yeah extremely entertaining antagonists if they can't be dangerous at least be funny and there are a lot of sly jokes as well in this in uh in aristocats there's very little deception going on but there's a lot of well you're you're in on it with robin and little john so whenever they play a uh a con effectively you're sort of like you know watching it hoping everything goes right and then obviously whenever everything collapses and they have to run away it's all a great big lock it's a heist it's a series of heists there's something about the country vibe of the music and mm. the, the half of the accents being American kind of lend this whole thing a unique southern feel, southern medieval feel. And yeah. something about that blend really works for me. I don't know if that would work for – I don't know. How do you guys feel? Oh, about I love that? it. I love the fact that the sheriff is a sheriff. <laughs> I, I, what's his name? Um, hang on. Might just be sheriff. No, no, the name of the actual uh, the actor plays the show. Oh, oh, what's his name? Yeah. Because uh, uh, he appears in pretty much everything for a little while. Pat Buttram. Uh, he was in Aristocats. He's uh, Napoleon, I believe. Yep, yep. He's like, wait a minute. I'm the leader. I say when it's over. And uh, he's in Robin Hood as the sheriff. And then he's in... Who else? Why is he? He's in The Rescuers as at least the little mouse who's drinks moonshine like Popeye eats spinach. That's the one. That's the <laughs> one with the Civil War recreationist turtle. Oh, yeah. I think, oh, he's in Fox and the Hound as well as Chief. Yep, yep. Yeah, so it's, it's always the same voice every single time. So when he turns up in Back to the Future 3, going, mustn't have gotten that shirt off in a dead Chinese. It's like, oh, okay, I'm on this, in this territory. So making him the sheriff in this makes it a Western. There's something about this movie, I, and it's probably just the nostalgia, but it, I just kind of settle into it like kind of a familiar blanket, just the feel of it. And I think it is partly that country medieval vibe that is just really unique feeling, and I just, mm. re- and I just remember it from youth. It is still very light, just as a Disney film, yeah. and very low budget, but 
it is kind of one of those if you're in the right mood it's uh, enjoyable there's some good laughs it's a in it. romp yeah it is a romp that's probably yeah. the best way to explain it it is also a very abiding um, image of Robin Hood himself. We, I am amazed, looking back, how few really excellent versions of Robin Hood we've had in my lifetime and slightly before that. We, I think there was a time – didn't Sean Connery play him at one point? That sounds familiar. Hang on. Sean Connery did, I believe. Jason Connery, his son, did in Robin of Sherwood. He was the second Robin Hood in that particular. That was an 80s British show with a lot of the clan ad style Celtic music. Very oh. serious. The uh, successor to that was the very much more Americanized um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which I think is probably my abiding beloved Robin Hood. But that needs to be followed up on. We need a rip-roaring, great fun version of Robin Hood that follows in the same vein as, I mean, like this, the Disney one, follows in the same vein as, is it The Adventures of Robin Hood? With, to the tables, men, and stuff yourselves. <laughs> yeah. That one. Um, is, the, is that the Errol Flynn? Errol Flynn, yeah. Um, so, yeah, but we haven't had that since then. Do you know what we've had since then? We've got the, the BBC TV show, which I'm not enamoured of, and we've had Russell Crowe in Ridley Scott's piss-poor, dull-as-onions Robin Hood. It's like, oh, hey, folks, you know about the legend of Robin Hood? Let's suck all the fun out of that one. And they do. It's exactly the same as the King Arthur film which came out a few years ago with uh, uh, Clive Owen, where it's like, oh, no, no, if King Arthur was real, he'd have been a Roman, and then there'd have been some other people in tribes, and it would have actually been really kind of boring. So let's suck the magic out of that one, too. We Again, we've had Merlin on TV. A, a, a couple of um, decades ago, we had Excalibur. But again, The Sword and the Stone is a majorly abiding version of that. We've had First Night. But for me, the best... The best Arthur legend, and this is terrible, is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> yeah. Why can't we get King Arthur and Robin Hood, two of the the two British legends, and get them some awesome films like swashbuckling, like Pirates of the Caribbean type films? Disney, this is your job. Do it. Do it now. Not for your well, Prince of Persia are. and Lone Ranger. They are British legends. It seems a bit unfair to foist them onto an American company. We can't do swashbuckling. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was our best effort? Maid Marian and her merry men. <laughs> no, actually, our best effort was... I mean, Maid Marian and her merry men was, was a, uh, a parody of Robin of Sherwood. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think our best effort is basically what the BBC can handle. But yeah, I, I say again, Disney, swashbuckling, please. It should also probably be mentioned, just because this is another thing that happens a lot in this era, uh, you will start seeing lots of animation reproduced from previous films. Mm, they uh, reference. I, I thought it was like a, a cunning little sort of, oh, hey, remember this bit in this film? But no, it's uh, you tell them. Well, I think to an extent it is some that, because, I mean, okay, so you'll start looking at, say, in Robin Hood, the, uh, the whole sequence of uh, Robin and Marion out in Sherwood Forest, the musical number, all the... Uh, Love the goes the... on and on. Which, oh, by the oh, way, yeah. turns up in Fantastic Mr. Fox as a Fox Love song. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That's classy. I should watch, I should watch that movie again. It's great. But, um, but uh, yeah, in the, uh, the a Pox on the Phony King of England, the whole musical number, you That's will start seeing a lot of... dance, isn't it? Yeah. You'll start seeing a lot of reused uh, or just very familiar animation stuff from Jungle Book, stuff from Snow White, and just the characters dancing and the musicians, uh, some musicians doing stuff very similar to what you saw in the Aristocats. Yeah. And, I mean, it's not 
like it's just something that they they still had to animate it again. <laughs> so they still like it's still a good bit of work, but being able to pull in reference from th- something that is already successful and working and with a lot of the mechanics kind of figured out, it would have sped up the process. But on, the reference performances don't really bother me. It's the places where they just straight up reuse animation tw- like where is where you I really feel the cheapness like well, well, every so- time Tigger bounces away it's exactly the same every time Orville takes off in uh, uh, the rescuers he takes off three times and it's literally the same animation each time they yep, did yep. use I think there's a couple of sequences of uh, and to be fair this is something that probably wouldn't have looked significantly different every time but Robin shooting an arrow mm. and it was the same frames that they, yep. they used. I think they put them over different backgrounds, but it was the same yeah. frames of animation. Yeah. Mowgli walking through the jungle, you'll see that kind of repeated a couple of times. Uh, the rabbit kids laughing against the tree in Robin Hood, that's used twice. Uh, and <laughs> Penny running away from her captors in The Rescuers, it's kind of flipped, so she runs away in the opposite direction the second time, but it's the nice. same animation. Yeah. It, that's where I start really feeling the, the budget on these films. And to be fair, just over a million dollars is very, very low budget. I'm amazed these films look even half decent yeah. on that budget. That they hold up today is astonishing. That they are watchable or indeed lovable today. Yeah. But again, they, they, they succeeded in keeping Disney afloat. It's kind of like, um, imagine you're sort of adrift in an ocean and you've got your um, life jacket on and you're slowly starting to sink and then you go... <laughs> And you stay up a little bit and you go, oh, God. Okay. And then you start to sing. <laughs> and then eventually something huge comes along, like a giant rowboat in the shape of Beauty and the Beast. And you get into the rowboat. And then you get in the Lion King's enormous cruise liner. And you're not going to sink again for a while. You know those arcade racing games where you every time you hit a checkpoint, they put a little more time on the clock. Yes. But, you're still, but you're still running out of time. Jesus, imagine the pressure. I mean, Dan, is... Obviously, we were working at Pixar at the time. We, is this going to be too much to to, uh, to ask you to talk about in terms of the no, fact and, that and Pixar's output at the time when you were there was in decline from, say, Toy Story 3? It's hard to say that it's directly analogous in this case, because, partly because it's under the Disney branch, which is a, Disney is a very, very profitable company. Even if yeah, their animation Pixar isn't doing well, anywhere, Disney yeah. is huge, and Pixar is pretty safe there. And the fact that Pixar's films, Pixar has not had any bombs. Like Even ones that aren't critically well-received, they are still very successful. The yeah. merchandise is still really successful. Pixar is, like, they are definitely having their issues in terms of just how big they've grown and just how... just and, producing films of the level of quality that people came to expect in their heyday. But it compared to like just the limping along of the Disney studio at this point and just them being kind of the black sheep of the company, just kind of producing stuff that's sort of successful sometimes and not as good as, and everyone just remembering, Oh, you remember all those uh, gold, like the Cinderella's and the 101 Dalmatians and all those classics. These are, these are okay. Just, this was just a really rough time for the Disney studio. It probably, yeah. I can't decide whether it, this or the, uh, just before the kind of their rise of Disney 3d was an uglier, I guess that was the time when it actually did kind of die. So maybe the next, so maybe the next downward Valley is the really rough time. I but, think they kept alive a lot more in this period than, than actually seemed to disappear from them in the, in the early two thousands. Yeah. 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 We'll get to there later, but uh, that was a dark, dark time. Yes. Mm, okay.
there's been a heap of legends and tall tales about Robin Hood. All different, too. Well, we folks of the animal kingdom have our own version. It's the story of what really happened in Sherwood Forest. Okay, we're back several years later. But we wanted to put some more into this one since it's a childhood favourite of mine. I was thinking 11 minutes, really 11 minutes. It's different for Snow White because people talk and talk and talk about Snow White and what a classic it is. And ultimately, you know, we, we, we talked about that in that regard and we talked about Pinocchio and, and, and that regard. We were actually fairly light on those major Disney classics um, relative to how much time we're going to put into, say, Mulan because there has been a boatload said about all the major Disney classics. I kind of feel like it's our duty to talk about the ones which no one talks about. Like, the Black Cauldron will be talking up a storm. And, um, I mean, ultimately, Robin Hood, it's a really tall order because it is such just a nice film to watch with so little to really remark upon. So let's remark upon as much as we possibly can because um, this was basically the thing that kept Disney alive straight after Walt's death. It's the first film that was made uh, without any involvement from Walt because he basically he was there for the beginning of the Aristocats uh, when it was in development and then died around about that time. And uh, so this was basically, can Disney carry on with Walt Disney's name on the poster, uh, but with Walt no longer alive? Can Disney carry on? And the fact that they clearly did, it says that this was at least vaguely successful. Um, with us this time we have Lauren Grieve of A Year of Steam. Hello there. Hello again. Now, it may seem absurd, but this is the only theatrically released 2D Disney animated classic in which humans don't exist and all the human roles are filled by a variety of animals. Think about it. Can anyone name one other? Does the Lion King not count? Nope. Okay. Because in that film, they're lions. Then I mean, in this, they're human. They were in clothes. They're discussing human stuff. In the Lion King, it's literally lion stuff they're discussing. It's oh, yeah, yeah. like if 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 they translated the Lion King, it would be just like having conversations, you know, with meerkats and the an- animals are anthropomorphic, but they are not filling in human roles. It may be Lion Hamlet, but they're not dressed as Lion Hamlet. If that makes any sense, there is a, a difference. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you. I'll probably talk a bit about that more later. Sharon, can you think of any? Um, I can think of one other, but it's in 3D animation. Um, and it's a piece of sh- mouse poo. Chicken Little? Yes, Chicken Little, in which humans don't exist, but chickens wear jumpers. The, uh, no, because there's humans in um, Home on the Range. Yep. I was going to say, because the cows wear hats, yep. but... Um, well, there will be a third. Uh, there will be a 3D movie coming out. What next month? Yeah, in March? Zootopia, Zootopia. Which, which, which is incredibly important to this community we're about to talk about for roughly the same reasons as Robin Hood. Yeah, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Which, in interestingly while. enough, the Zootopia started life as what if we animated that, that that Disney Robin Hood again, but in 3D animation that became Zootopia. Yeah, and uh, and it's going to be very influential in a very similar way, I think. I believe so. But with a receptive community right there, as opposed to, I'm not sure what it would have been like in 73, but they wouldn't have had the channels that we have now. 
for communication <laughs> and, and just saying, I like this. Do you like this? I like this. <laughs> yeah. Well, when we get to it and we talk about it, I will tell you all about the furry community of the 70s and 80s. <laughs> oh, good. Cool. Cool. Okay. So history hats on, folks. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Anyone name another? Like uh, Rescuers, 101 Dalmatians. All of these are films where humans exist and do their human things and animals carry on doing stuff without our knowledge that are remarkably anthropomorphic. Aristocats. Even The Jungle Book. He's trying to get the man back to the man village. Main character. No, it's not a Disney movie, but The Secret of Nim. Are there any humans in that that yeah. actually appear? Well, uh, no. In, uh, in The Secret of Nim, the fiction of that she's trying to get these rats who have come from a oh, laboratory a lab. yeah, yeah but, where they're but experimented that's the, on by humans but that's in the greater fiction that comes with the i do form. believe i i have seen it in the past couple of years i do believe they at least mention the lab or at least like they show some signage which suggests that that was a lab yeah. so there's the presence of humans but yeah. not necessarily specifically humans seen on screen yeah. so i mean you think about disney especially around this period dogs cats mice dogs cats mice but very, very – like none – no films where it is just animals doing human things. I'm and, assuming you're not counting Monsters, Inc. Oh, no, there's humans in Monsters, Inc. What yeah, are you talking about? Yeah, the humans drive the plot of that thing. And, and also it's 3D animation and it's Pixar. Um, Cars is a great example of this where humans presumably don't exist or did exist but no one mentions them and it's cars doing human things. Um, okay, so now that we've got that one established, that suggests that if you want to think deeply about this, and we do, then like the world of Rama in Tiger's Eye, foxes and chickens evolved to become the dominant species on this version of Earth. And, and wore clothes. Like, they wore shirts but no trousers. But on the other hand, this film means an enormous amount to the furry community. And one of the main reasons Lauren is on the show is so that he can account for this firsthand. Now, before we get to that, because I think that's going to be a big chunk of the uh, show, will be a sort of us sitting back and listening to Lauren wax <laughs> on about the furry community in a way that, like, you know, is going to be news to a lot of people. Um, let's just talk about a couple of things about the development of this. Does anyone know the story that this was originally going to be. I do not. Because it's not actually really based on Robin Hood. It's loosely based, but it's more based on something else. I do not. It's actually like a 900-year-old German saga called Reynard the Fox. In oh, which, I did hear about that. Yeah, in yeah. which uh, an outlaw fox opposes... Uh, an evil wolf named Eisengrim, who became the sheriff. And basically, he's a trickster. And uh, he, he, most of these stories, which went on for a long, long time, over, I'm talking a period of centuries here, through various, obviously various writers, mostly seem to be about the, the antics of Reynard the French fox, as he uh, pulls the wool over the eyes of various other animals, and, um, uh, and basically just tries to get away with it. And uh, he's much more of a uh, an unprincipled cad than uh, the, the the very good-hearted Robin that we meet in this. There's a bit of Br'er Rabbit in that as well. If you uh, if you think back to like Lauren, you were the one who showed us Songs of the South, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Otherwise known as Disney, what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> as oh, that doesn't hold up these days. Ooh, that's not right. Uh, so yeah, this is basically there was going to be a Reynard the Fox animation from the 1930s. It just but they were, they were thinking about it and knocking it around the table, and it just didn't work because the the stories are really grisly and dark, 
and they just couldn't work out how to make that 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 function. So I think eventually they merged that with the Robin Hood concept. And uh, again, production notes are very patchy. They didn't make a lot of this stuff public. The Blu-ray is very cagey about the actual production. There's no commentary. There's no people talking to camera. There's a couple of little bits about deleted scenes, but there's very little actual information on the making of this. It was made for $1.5 million, which is ridiculous. As we already said in the, uh, um, uh, the Daniel Floyd section of this, it's 8.5 million by today's standards, which is less than Disney spend on sawdust for vomit in their parks on a daily basis. Um, (laughs) And somehow it sort of kept the uh, – it was pleasing enough to the public to make itself some cash and kept the Disney spirit alive. And it just kept limping along up until the point where the, the third renaissance emerged in the late 80s, early 90s. I was lucky enough to when I first saw this was when the Lego were just releasing their Forest Men. Lauren, you'll be way too young to remember this. Not true. I no? have a very extensive collection of the exact thing you're talking about, the Lego <laughs> Forest Men. I have – a ton of them. Hang on, what year were you born? I was born in 1984. Wow, you're, you're older than I thought. Okay, I am so sorry. Yeah, no, you're <laughs> absolutely right. So yeah, okay, uh, carry well, on. I still have them, I should say. Could, could you send in, them to me? Because I really want them now. They're, they're in a box in my room. It if you're not using them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I even had the full uh, forest hideout with like the the molded mountain that the whole... The cave? Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I had it all, man. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, I um, I think I borrowed this VHS tape from the f- a friend. Uh, this was back when the days when Disney had those giant white VHS boxes to make them feel different and much more special than regular videos. Yep, yep, which they, I also still have. Did they have those in America? Oh, the, yeah, the yeah. The big white I boxes? S- I still have that version of this on VHS. I actually still have three Disney, Disney mm. films on VHS in the big white boxes. It's uh, Robin Hood, the uh, Fox and the Hound, and Oliver and Company. Yeah. In England, Americans, this would be fun for the older ones. Um, we always had like sort of plastic, hard case, snap closed video cases. And, you know, that, that kept them safe. Occasionally, we might have card slip cases that, that would go in sideways, so long ways. Americans, and this is for you Brits out there, Imagine that the the way to put the video cassette into the box is down the bottom. Down that, like if you're holding up the video and looking at the front, the tape's going to slip out the bottom. It's insane, and they had that <laughs> for years. Imagine if your DVD was held in your case by gravity and a wish. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Just why? Account for your species, Lauren. <laughs> oh, God, I couldn't possibly do that. <laughs> Certain questions occurred to me while I was watching it earlier today. Call me crazy for speculating on this, but on being left alone behind closed curtains in a carriage with a psychotic despot who personally insisted on no guards being present, Robin should have gone full-on Game of Thrones on Prince John. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, you know, um, rather than going, oh, cross my palm with silver, he should have said, you know, now you must pay the iron price and just plunged a dagger into his gut. <laughs> well, then then the uh, the budget might have made more sense if the movie was only five minutes long, I guess. True, true, yeah. Where it's just like the opening one. credits, the nice song, the like yeah. the cards for everybody, and then just like, oh, Prince John, upstabbed. Yeah, I the mean, end. although he's a fox versus a lion, he could have had the power of surprise, but he's got backup from a bear. Little John's just outside could just have burst in and, and basically and, just eaten Prince John. And that lion is pretty mangy. I mean, come yeah. on now. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it just feels like a lot of a lot of uh, hardship could have been averted had Laura, had Robin just taken the plunge at that stage. Yeah, I mean, you could say that about a lot of movies, though, mm. where it's just like, oh well, if they had just done this in the early ten minutes, we wouldn't have this movie. Um, one thing you were going to say, and I don't know if this uh, we've got to do your uh, the thing on the community first, but um, I've got quite a question here. Why is Robin a fox? Why is John a bear? The prince a lion? Hiss a snake? Marion a vixen? Except it just yeah. carries on like so. We can do these one at a time if you want, but uh, so, there is a good symbolism behind most of them. Yeah, yeah, there's a real good symbolism behind them, and it does tie into a lot of kind of the psychology that underlies the furry community. Now, I, like, I don't want to say that I'm speaking for every member of the furry community or everybody who associates themselves with it, but I've, like most things, tend to study that which is around me, and as being an active member in the community for the last decade and then some, I have... Uh, and doing a bit of my own research, I have kind of a kind of a working theory on and like the underlying understanding of the the furry community, like what where it comes from. And I think it's it's actually related to what we're talking about here, even more directly than I had anticipated. Uh, now that you've mentioned the Reynard the Fox uh, like folklore, it actually makes even more sense. Mm. So having that background would actually help before going into specifically why the why characters are those okay. species. Right, well, then I'll carry on with my um, – because actually the next question, it doesn't necessarily relate to him being specifically a rabbit, although that comes into it. But the, the next section of the show is something I like to call We Have to Talk About Skippy. Because <laughs> um, this kid <laughs> – Gee whiz, it's Robin Hood. Happy birthday, son. Oh, he's so handsome, just like his reward posters. Tell me, young man. How old are you today? Gosh, I'm seven years old, going on eight. Seven? Well, that does make you the man of the house. And I've got just the right present for you. For me? Gee, thanks, Mr. Robin Hood, sir. Hey, how do I look, huh? Not much like Mr. Robin Hood. She's right, there is something missing. <gasps> of course. There you go. Boy, oh boy, now how do I look? <laughs> the hat's too big. Shh, mind your manners. Yes, mind your manners. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll grow into it, young man. Little lolly, I'm going to try it out. Goodbye, Mr. Robin Hood. Come again, my birthday. <laughs> oh, you have made his birthday a wonderful one. How can I ever thank you? I only wish I could do more. Here. And keep your chin up. Someday there'll be happiness again in Nottingham. You'll see. Oh, Robin Hood. You've risked so much to keep our hopes alive. Bless you. Bless you. Okay. Nobody talks like this kid. Nobody acts like this kid. No one has ever acted like this child. And Robin decides the prudent thing to do to give to this complete nincompoop is, is to give him a weapon for his birthday, something which can only result in the maiming of one of his friends. He's incredibly lucky that one of his friends is actually armoured because, <laughs> I mean, that, that, though his, his sister and his other little sister look very vulnerable. And so at least it lowers the odds by, um, by, by one of him seriously harming one of his friends or himself. But at the very least, his mother should have said, you'll shoot your eye out. 
<laughs> well, maybe it's an American thing. Mm. Maybe, yeah, just to give a child a weapon. Yeah. yeah, I mean, why not? It just seems to be the the way of way of things here. But he's he's this really annoying little rabbit, and he's got this like he's kind of the he's got a, a thumper thing going on. Wouldn't you say mm. that kind of yeah. that crestfallen look about him with the buck teeth going? Oh, but the it sure is, awful is very stuff. definitely thumper. Yeah, that, I notice that a lot about it actually. That there are so many character models that are very very similar to those that appear in other Disney movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that might go into a little bit because didn't they end up stealing a bunch of the scenes, like like the the frameworkers and they such from other movies? Lyra, like, I know the dances. Yeah, are the, the, the dances are from uh, they basically traced the movements of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and the Aristocats and the Jungle Book. Yeah. So there's all three of them they're dancing, but ultimately dancing's harder to animate, especially because there's lots of very quick, vivacious movement. And mm. uh, and it has to be – it can't be weirdly erratic. And isn't Little John basically just Baloo with clothes? Yes. Little John yes. is Baloo with clothes. And Sir Hiss, were he to have Sterling Holloway's voice, would be Carr. Yep. He's a bit more sort of pathetic and scheming and, and um, uh, he's a whipping boy or, or literally a whip boy. Um, but <laughs> – uh, yeah, but he he even does the hypnotism scene, you, reusing uh, animation frames basically from the the car hypnotism scene. Um, uh, Lyra noticed very neatly. Hail to the princess Aurora! It's it's from Sleeping Beauty. Can't believe wow. I hadn't spotted that. Well done, Lyra. Um, also, the vultures are exactly the same as the ones in. Uh, well, there's one bald vulture. Yeah, what are we going to do today? Uh, in uh, the Jungle Book, and yep. um, uh, I think I've already mentioned that he does this voice again. But Pat Buttram uh, seemingly only knows how to do one voice, so when he comes back, it's Napoleon's voice that he gives to the sheriff. <laughs> but I'm not going to chide him for reusing that voice. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now, what choice do we have here? We got plenty of choices, as always. Do we? Do we? I'm the leader. I say what we're doing. I think she's telling us the truth. Why would anybody give a damn about us? Ask her again. This is bull. How do we know the moment we step out, you want to shoot us both to save your hides? It does seem rather too good to be true. Well, let's see. Does either of you have a deck of cards on you? For more of that, including Lauren's cameo as Virgil, listen to Secret Rooms. Uh, yeah, it's it's actually kind of interesting how this movie was uh, pretty well liked in its time. Now when you watch it, you can really notice a lot of those those problems. And then yet it was so influential for like a certain subset of people. It's really hmm. well, it's, I, it's interesting. I don't consider these to be problems because ultimately it's this is such an inoffensive movement, movie and it's so easy to see. And I'm going to ask you this question now, but don't answer it until the end. OK, w- what food is this film? Because basically it's something you can just eat without it being too challenging. And it's satisfying, not deeply satisfying, but you always know roughly what you're going to get. And at the end of it, you're licking your, your fingers and going, mm, that was nice. And it was only an hour and 23 minutes, so you can move on to something else. Like most of your evening will still be there. Basically. Yeah. It's, it's almost the literal definition of a popcorn film. And it's not going to affect your emotions in any kind of way which will leave you drained or strained in any way. It's, uh, it's got little bits that you're like, oh, that's sweet. But you're not really going to be tugged in any particular direction. 
Not like like if you watch The Lion King, that's going to put you through a ringer, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, also, regarding Skippy, when he, he he goes for the arrow that he shot into Marion's garden, and Marion finds him, and he's terrified. I was like thinking, like when I was a kid, I was like, oh my god, the person, the rich person who owns this house, she'll have me thrown in jail. But now I'm thinking, oh my god, it's a fox. She's gonna eat me. <laughs> I just wonder how how often the the nobles, the uh, you know mostly carnivorous, I might add, nobles and upper upper echelons of this animal society just ate the peasants. I wonder if it happened often. Well, I mean, it makes it, it. There's a weird kind of symbolism to the idea of the predators kind of being at the top of society and kind of feeding on the poor, as it were. The poor being represented by rabbits and uh, like turtles and fairly inoffensive things oh actually now that i think about it wasn't i was gonna say the the one exception in, in nepal is that the blacksmith is a dog who obviously they're, they're are they omnivorous or mainly dogs they, are meant to be carnivores carnivores Humans by tend preference to feed them other stuff, vegetables they're not meant to eat them yeah, yeah. well the, uh dogs uh much like cats do uh they eat grass to specifically help with their digestion yeah. of certain things but it's not for nutritional okay. reasons so but he's the uh, the token carnivore amongst all of these um you know grass eaters uh at down the bottom but it just reminded me that he's he's um i want to say tr- it's trusty from uh lady in the tramp yeah. he even yeah. had the same <laughs> leg wound he did <laughs> and uh yeah the uh, the chicken has breasts. They're specifically well. on show during the uh, American football moment when she's sort of jumping up and down and whooping. But that that decortage for Clucky really comes through at that point. And uh, Lady Clucky. Yes. When, the, most bafflingly of all, a crocodile, I think, or maybe a rhino, but I think mostly likely a crocodile, grabs the back of her back and, like, Pulls out her feather breeches and she's wearing underwear under her feathers, yeah. which just raises so many questions. It really does. Yes. I, I, I feel like that's more of a holdover from because weren't from the Looney Tunes? Looney Tunes. I feel like because the Looney Tunes were the other kind of anthropomorphic animal yeah, yeah. Uh, medium of the time, and, but it was all comedy and very small. It wasn't like Although, a dramatic piece. In Tom and Jerry, uh, there's definitely a, a racist mammy, but uh, there are humans in that well, world, definitely. And Tom and Jerry yeah. definitely have their place within that world. But oh, yes. I mean, oh, so does Tweety Pie and Sylvester, actually. And and yeah. Bugs is definitely a bunny who it could be hunted. There's there's it, it, humans are always part of the Looney Tunes world. Mostly uh, they're yeah. there to be ridiculed. We have Elmer Fudd as yeah. the primary like uh, member of the human the human species, the human community, as it were. Always where all the animals are just getting one up over him. It would have felt weird in this Robin Hood if there'd been one token human. Like Prince John is the only human. Why? Oh, that would have been very strange. Although in, in the Reynard story, it was always a lion, but it was not anywhere near as cowardly as this Prince John turns out to be. Although he's actually, he, there's a brace of really memorable villains in this. You've got your, your, he's not so much incompetent, but this really cruel and, and just bad sheriff. And you've got a really cruel, ineffectual prince with affectations of being a king. And you've got his scheming um, vizier, uh, and you know, it's it's rare that Disney gets three really great villains in one go. Yeah, I always really liked Sir Hiss. I don't know why. There was just something about him I was was always really amused by. And I, I think, uh, have you guys seen the Most Wanted edition that has the alternate ending? I have. Yeah, we watched that earlier today. Yeah, that's some dark stuff. Yeah, right. Because in in that ending, um, 
so I mean, not to skip ahead, I guess, spoiler alert, uh, Robin Hood wins. And um, <laughs> if that's a spoiler, but in the in the regular movie, he jumps into the, the moat and swims out and they, they all go off and it's fine. But in the alternate edition or the alternate ending that they were going to originally do, he gets hit by one of the arrows that they fire and is like nearly mortally wounded, mm. taken to Friar Tuck's church. And Prince John shows up with Sir Hiss to see little John leaving to go and get some kind of medicine or bandages or something. And they go in where it's just Robin and Marion and the, the church mouse. And John uh, pulls out a knife. He's going to yeah. chiv him. Yeah. He straight up pulls out a knife. To, he's just like, all right, that's it. I'm like, he, it's almost like he finally grew a backbone yeah. now that his enemy is like knocked out and practically in a coma. And he's just like, yeah, I'm going to just shank this, this uh, <laughs> poor helpless Fox here. And then, of course, King Richard shows up and just boxes his ears and sends them all to the, the stonemason piles. Yeah. Lyra might have mentioned that the raccoons in, in a row is, a, is racist. She's very sensitive for, for racism <laughs> in films. Uh, it, that one's more of a question mark for me. But uh, yeah, write in if you think the raccoons walking in a line were racist. <laughs> <laughs> um, the... Uh, the love song, you know, the uh, yesterday has a very similar visual language to Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Mm-hmm. It's in that same sort of blue twilight, uh, you know, by, uh, by the water. And there's a lot of staring into each other's eyes and so many things to tell her. But without the conflict of the Lion King, that wonderful, wonderful conflict, which we'll be talking about for hours on end in the, uh, in the upcoming future. Um, were you on that one, Lauren? I know you were on one of them, the, one of the '90s ones. Oh I no, know. you weren't on any of the ones with Dan, I, were you? I was. No, I've. I think it was I, Name I, who, who who was on one of those. I have yet to actually speak to Daniel Floyd, oh, and man. I'd really like to at some point because I owe my current job to the work that he did on Extra Credits. So okay, uh, well, tell you what, um, what just think, pick a film that comes after, well, after Chicken Little that you really, really love, and you can be on that one. All right. I'll, I'll, that I'll way you'll be on and Dan will be on and there's no escaping. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my God, it's Daniel Floyd. Oh, oh my God. Uh, hey, mom, Daniel Floyd should be on this one. Get the, get the camera. Yes. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Uh, okay. There's also to be, to be noted um, Prince John's Great Tax Plan. Phase one, imprison everyone in England. <laughs> Phase two, Either, because we don't see this in specifics, either, it has to be only one or the other. Feed them in prison or let them starve to death en masse. Kill everyone in Britain. Phase three, profit. Profit. (laughs) That is mental business. I don't even understand how. Even using it as a preventative measure, it's cheaper just to execute them. Make an example of them. Why are you imprisoning them? It doesn't make any sense. Well, it's not like he was ever positioned to be a particularly effective leader. <laughs> yeah. Basically, I mean, they, they should have basically said, look, the, the, the Britain, animal Britain has ground to a halt. There's no farmers working in the fields anymore. There's no tax that could be paid from the nothing that's being earned. <laughs> He's basically Joffrey at this stage, which is why he should be Game of Thrones. Seems like only yesterday You were just a child at play 
Actually, the ending is the the jailbreak. Um, so I'm going to go ahead. I think this is about the time to ask Lauren about, okay, you're going to need to take us back in time to 1973, just to begin it that way, and explain what the furry community was in 1973 and how this affected it. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to give kind of a brief history, a brief prehistory, if you will, of the furry community sure. real quick. So... Here's a question to start us off. When do you think the earliest piece of anthropomorphic art was discovered? Like, oh. like goes back to? Oh, it would have been like prehistoric. Prehistoric. They, were anthropomorphizing out the window. They, they would have had like basically like the first time a shaman put on the head of a ram or something or, or a lion and basically came and told the first story in front of. Um, the, the fire to basically really sell them the idea of the monster and give them the idea of, you know, that, that there would be a beast that was part man as well. Then the first artists would have gone right, going straight to the cave and I'm going to draw this lion thing. That's also got legs and is a human man. We're, we're talking like just after stick figures. The, the earliest anthropomorphic art, as far as I'm aware, there might be an older one than this, that is an actual artifact that is currently in a museum, is carbon dated to 30,000 BC. Jeez. Okay? Be, and this is just because uh, – and there's, there's a lot that I'm going to have to go over. So if I start rambling, tell me to stop and reword it. I think I might uh, – I, I, give us a, give us a, a, a code word. Um, uh, how about just furloughs? <laughs> no, when I, I say furloughs, it's like, Lauren, focus. Yeah, okay, that's fair. So um, the thing about the, the furry community that I kind of alluded to earlier goes back way older than like our modern society, even though furry as a community has a very particular, shall we say, stereotype in the cultural zeitgeist of today. But the notions that are the foundations of the community go back way, way, way further than that. I mean, and it really goes down to kind of what you were saying, the idea of wearing uh, the skin of an animal as a way of embodying some aspect of that animal. Because the foundation of a lot of the communication and the understanding in the furry community and in a lot of furry artwork 
goes to the idea of utilizing animals as shorthand for describing aspects of a person. So this is why you would say somebody is like sly as a fox, strong as an ox, uh, like an attractive woman is a vixen, like th- these terminology that we still use today. Uh, and it's just prevalent all throughout ancient history and folklore. And I mean, think Aesop's fables. Mm-hmm. Those animals were those species for a reason. And the translation to today, to the furry community, is people that that concept resonates with on a deeper level, or someone who appreciates the aspects of that animal and wishes to take them on, much like the shaman, uh, the skinwalker of of the past, in a sense. Where, uh, but instead of wearing a costume, although I mean many of us do wear costumes, to be fair, you create the persona adopting that species in order to adopt the characteristics or to highlight characteristics that you see in yourself. So someone who is particularly uh, intellectual but mischievous, uh, maybe they see themselves as a fox. Someone who is fiercely loyal but uh, playful and generally optimistic, maybe they're a breed of dog, and so on and so forth. And it's interesting because the furry community itself has taken upon this shorthand and expanded on it from those original folk tales and the original concepts that were brought forward to cover a wide variety of species. And it never ceases to amaze me how that shorthand functions so well, whether it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of the people who adopt a certain persona take on all of those characteristics so they all become more similar or just that it all just fits together, that they are that way, they gravitate towards that species, and as such, take on that persona. Uh, like, for instance, in folklore, dragons were always considered a an antagonist, an enemy type, some expression of evil, with very few exceptions. The most notable exception being the, the Far East depiction of the, the Chinese Lung being much more wisdom and, and, and intelligent. But uh, in the modern furry community, the dragon, like if you take on a dragon as, a, as your persona, you have a very specific set of characteristics that 99 times out of 100, you fit whether you want to or not. So dragons tend to be, uh, they tend to collect something. Some people, it's more physical. Some people, it's uh, friends. Some people, it's uh, just anything you could imagine. It could be particular pieces of art. But a, like a dragon will always have some kind of horde of some sort, whether they recognize it or not. And they are fiercely protective of it. So one of my very good friends, his persona is a dragon, and he essentially collects friends people who are very close to him he is incredibly loyal and incredibly protective of the people that he is closest with uh, and he's a wonderful guy for it um, and it goes on with like that for basically any species you can imagine so that's that's like a quick primer for what I'm talking about okay okay nobody lost okay no, no I still lost. This, so, this is not alien to us it might be uh, like bewildering to a lot of uh, other people but uh um, I mean, you, you're not talking Greek here. It is. It's. It's. It's fairly straightforward. Okay. So the uh, one of the earliest moments that really developed the fandom into the uh, modern day furry fandom was actually in the mid to late '70s. It started to become spinoffs in uh, fantasy and anime like fan clubs. 
to make uh, what was originally known actually as the Funny Animal Fan Club. And that uh, they would meet at sci-fi conventions and other conventions of that sort, even back then in the, uh, like 76 to, you know, into the 80s. But like you mentioned earlier, there was no internet. They didn't really have any way of meeting and really talking with and sharing ideas and becoming a cohesive community until later in the uh, in the 80s. They were still kind of looking for something to rally behind. There, uh, they started with fanzines, actually, like little magazines that the fans would create and distribute at these conventions or by mail, and that was the primary way that they actually communicated, to go back to a question you had earlier. Uh, and it wasn't until Disney's Robin Hood that the community had a really good, dramatic example of, of true anthropomorphic animals doing things in a way that resonated with that understanding of species as shorthand for characteristics. Now, you had Looney Tunes, but that was always very short. Comedic didn't really play into that understanding, wasn't a dramatic role. And the other Disney films before this, uh, they were much more animal and they could talk and think, and that was as close as you got to anthropomorphic. But Robin Hood was when, kind of as you pointed out, you had almost a 50-50. They were people, but they were also animals. And there was a reason that you could very easily pick up on for that. And it was and so this film was the first major touchstone for the whole community. And it was followed up by other major touchstones. Uh, the secret or the um The Rescuers mm-hmm. was another big movie for the community, and also The Secret of Nim, which Robin Hood directly influenced the animation of Mm -hmm. through Don Bluth. Mm -hmm. You know something, Robin? You're taking too many chances. Chances? You must be joking. That was just a bit of a lark, little John. Yeah? Take a look at your hat. That's not a candle on a cake. Hello. This one almost had my name on it, didn't it? They're getting better, you know. You've got to admit it. They are getting better. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The next time, that sheriff will probably have a rope around our necks. Pretty hard to laugh hanging there, Rob. The sheriff and his whole posse couldn't lift you off the ground. Oh, God. Hey, watch it, Rob. That's the only hat I've got. Oh, come along. You worry too much, old boy. You know something, Robin, I was just wondering? Are we good guys or bad guys? You know, I mean, uh, are robbing the rich to feed the poor? Rob? That's a naughty word. We never rob. We just... Sort of borrow a bit from those who can afford it. Borrow? (laughs) Boy, are we in debt. So uh, this is incredibly important in that regard for the furry community. It was their first real example on screen in the culture of the concept of what would become this community. And that is the first major generation in the current furry community because – in the current community, there's a very definite divide between the older generation that, that grew up with Robin Hood and the, and the other Disney films that followed and Secret of Nim and uh, a more uh, current generation. Uh, I could go into a lot more on that, but that's not necessarily the point. Um, but what that's really coming to is this new generation's uh, movie, their, their Robin Hood. Cause I mean, the vast majority of them have seen, gone back and seen these old movies, but they're not, they don't resonate the same because we have so much more since then. Mm-hmm. But uh, the movie coming out soon, Zootopia, is actually poised to be the current 
furry generation's Robin Hood. And it's already been rallied behind, even though it hasn't even come out yet, in a very big way by everyone in the community, but also much more so by the the younger crowd. Um, and the, the reason I, I can talk to this a little bit is the older crowd, the, the gray muzzles, as we call them, <laughs> they, um, they were most of my friends whenever I first started joining the community, but I myself am positioned uh, age-wise right between the two. So I kind of so you're like Generation have, Y, same as uh, I think Sharon and I are. Um, just in terms of actually where Generation X sits, it finished just about as we ca- as I came of age. At least I don't know about Sharon; she might be tail end. I I am technically Generation X. Yes. Right. Yeah. And and technically, um, by the current definition of the millennials, I actually am like the first year that can be considered millennials. But that means that I'm on this this cusp between these two generations. Uh, but that's mainly because I think generational definitions like that are nonsense anyway. But uh, you can see in this case for the furry community, a very big difference between uh, the younger generation, and the older generation, the younger generation taking advantage of the older generation's progress in a lot of ways in the community at large. That's a whole lot of information just kind of thrown out there in a really quick fashion. Uh, do you, do you have any questions or anything you want me to elaborate on? Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see where Thundercat stood, the uh, the original Rankin Bass TV show. Did that make them people happy or were they just going, well, they're less cats and more just hair metal rockers? Well, it, so it's interesting because uh, Thundercats and um, a flight, the Flight of Dragons were uh, are touted as being uh, – formative movies in the, or well formative uh pieces of art in the community but it really wasn't until robin hood that they had like the big thing to rally around that really hang on robin embodied. hood was 73 so that oh, i'm was, sorry uh, well, so it was, was after so yeah, yeah so it was after it was robin getting hood my, in 73 and then uh getting my years mixed Flight up of dragons was 82 thundercats yeah, was 85 85 and then secret and nim was in the 80s um plague dogs last unicorn animal olympics these are all major touchstones in the early furry community and they all came after robin hood that's I remember what I mean. animal olympics i saw that uh oh, man. A- a- 82 was secret of nim so same year as uh Flight oh of same year as a flight of dragons interesting because I, I actually um in in looking up some of the history of the community uh for this purpose i was reading down just through like a list of like these are all major touchstones but this is the first one mm. and, and the first one is is robin hood um because the, uh, the reason I asked regarding Thundercats is I, I wanted to know, Wesley, whether the uh, furry community um, really felt that the Thundercats were the animals in question. Because one of the reasons that I made Tiger's Eye, and I mentioned this on Behind the White Scars, but people who only listen to School of Movies won't have known this. Um, it always kind of bugged me that they were basically just like like humanoid cats, but mostly humanoid, dealing with humanoid things. Yeah. I, I flipped it in Tiger's Eye. It was like they were mostly cats dealing in some capacity with things in an anthropomorphized fashion, but still basically cats that were standing on their hind legs. Um, and I'm just wondering if, if that's, you know, if, if, if that's in short supply or is, if that is flooding the market right now within the furry communities, uh, literature. Well, for the, um, for the Thundercats specifically, it for it, this is one of the ones where it resonated with some people, but it didn't resonate with others, mm-hmm. and that's uh, kind of a running theme that you'll see with an awful lot of uh, kind of furry ephemera, if you will. 
there's very few pieces for ephemera. For ephemera. Uh, there's very few pieces that will resonate with the community as a whole. Gotcha. Um, we, the big ones yeah, being aspects. Robin Hood, the Lion King, mm-hmm. was a very big uh, part of it, and presumably Zootopia will be like the next like big community wide. Um, touchstone that everybody will be will will relate to not chicken little though no actually not not very much at all uh actually there was another movie that made a pretty big splash in the community uh it wasn't as big as these other ones i've mentioned but it should be mentioned that cats don't dance was um a movie that was very embraced by the community even though the the larger like the rest of humanity ignored it for the most part, it seemed. What about Alpha and Omega? Um, some people took to it. Most people didn't because it was not a great movie. <laughs> um, but it also almost was trying to pander a little too much. It, 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 they seem to have tailored their, um, like their, their lead characters to look exactly like so much furry fan art. Yeah. Uh, as, as you said, that they're, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I haven't seen the film, but uh, it, yeah. it appeared to be like on the surface, on, from a shallow uh, outside observer. Well, that's what that is. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot. It's interesting because a lot of the movies that you would see is like, oh, well, clearly that was made like that's pandering, that kind of stuff. And it's not until oh, speaking um, of pandering, what about Kung Fu Panda? Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> Thank that you. was a pretty. There was there were quite a few um, like that's a very well known, very well respected, but like it didn't cause an increase in the number of pandas in like personas. It, I think that's what's actually interesting is most of the milestone movies don't Star even. Fox. <laughs> well, most most of them do. I mean, I'm not saying that foxes are the best, but I mean foxes are the best. Obviously, so foxes are lucky. <laughs> um, but it's 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 curious how you'll see some people adopting personas based upon uh characters from major touchstone points so uh balto the film balto was uh a pretty big milestone and it was around that time that you started seeing more and more people adopt uh specifically husky personas Mm. what about bolt actually because that won the year that uh kung fu panda came out 2008 bolt won the ursa major awards for best movie that means it got more votes than kung fu panda and And this uh, is a mediocre film yeah, that was the thing is that Bolt, Bolt, a lot of people went out and saw it and like liked it enough. I actually I really liked the cat in that movie whose name totally escapes me, which shows Sally you how Field. memorable. Ah, there you go. Um, <laughs> we're going to be reviewing that next, folks. That's where we're up to in this show. <laughs> wow. That and Chicken uh, I, Little and uh, what's the third one after that? Oh, uh, Meet the Robinsons is the one in between those two. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's a movie that like, it's like, okay, well, it's a furry movie. All the furries are going to see it. But it didn't, like you said, it wasn't like that great. I'm actually really surprised that it beat out. Um, a film of un- incredible the, quality, Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. But the, the general feel of the people that I know, that I talk to, that I associate with, uh, Bolt has largely been forgotten while Kung Fu Panda is still talked about. Good. That's very good. Uh, also, Kung Fu Panda carried on with multiple sequels. Bolt did not. Um, Imagine that. The, what, what about uh, the, the the Twilight films? Because of obviously the high werewolf content, and and obviously Teen Wolf, and uh, Sur- and things like that. So surprisingly, well, 
Um, Hemlock Grove, if you like it nasty. So, so here's a kind of a contentious point of sorts that those who embrace, shall we say, possibly embrace the idea of adopting an animal too much go into more of the Therian community mm-hmm. or for, for Therianthropy, which is kind of the catch-all term for the various depictions of lycanthropy. And there's a lot to it. And there's a pretty, there's, there's a very legitimate part of it, but that community has become a lot more toxic towards the furry community oh, for whatever wow. reason. Yeah. It's actually strange. So I count myself among, uh, as a Therian, but the furries throw better parties. So I count myself as a fur. That's what I always said whenever I, I would come up against this kind of weird schism. I think that's mostly gone away now, but the Twilight movies didn't really resonate with people because they were dog shit. But the and yet Bolt um, gets number one that year. What, hey, but uh, what was it? The, uh, the the movie with the vampires versus the werewolves that were also trash. Underworld. Underworld. Th- so the first Underworld movie had a lot of conversations about it because of the transformation scenes of the werewolves yeah, in that, yeah. because it was just it was actually done in a way that appealed to a lot of people. And and like I said, I'm pretty sure that schism between the Therian community and the furry community has mostly gone away, okay. uh, and it's all become like one big happy community. Do you think part of that may be? And I I I know pretty much what you've told us about the furry community so so i'm I'm really drawing in the dark here um but it, it seems to me that there is a distinct difference between creatures that are human but literally become animals some of the time and the idea of embracing a representative animal which you are metaphorically all of the time it's uh it, it's a nuance that isn't let's say it's a nuance that's usually lost on people it usually uh the theory well so if you imagine a lot of the lycanthropy media so a a lot of the time somebody who oh here you go harry potter there's uh what's his name gray main gray the he is gray back i knew it was gray something he is depicted as always being animalistic, even when he's human, mm-hmm. mm. like so, Sabretooth, then, like Sabretooth in a in a way. So, and that's the way a lot of lycanthropic media treats their uh, lycanthropic characters, where they uh, they actually are always a, have a bit of that in them. It just explores more of the dichotomy between the two, which for a lot of furries. Um, resonates with the idea of having to like go to work and present as more of a person and try to relate to people who don't have that Mm. inherent language to relate to each other while with your friends or at home you're like a different person you are more adopting the character that you have created for yourself or that you feel represents yourself on a deeper level Mm -hmm. Um, oh and it should be mentioned that uh videos aren't the only uh, touchstones in this way. So like, um, Ooh. Brian Jacquez yeah. red wall series is a really big one. Uh, watership down was a big book. Um, uh, comics like the, uh, teenage mutant Ninja turtles and Usagi Yojimbo, especially Usagi Yojimbo. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all real important. Like there's touchstones all across the various forms of media. Uh, let's just, let a, us not forget my little pony friendship is magic specifically. Well, for the, so it's interesting because Which of course the original we've talked about on the show already, 
Yeah, the, the first show of yours I listened to, uh-huh. actually. Um, so the original My Little Pony has been embraced retrospectively. Yeah. But the new My Little Pony is like a different beast entirely and has been widely accepted by the community. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and as, a, as a, a quick aside, the sub-community of the, the Bronies, the Pegasisters, the My Little Pony fandom is – such a microcosm of the furry community just on fast forward it's amazing mm-hmm. seeing them go through all the trials and tribulations that the community at large came up against as they were establishing their conventions as they were trying to kind of establish the the language and the understanding of each other in the community where for the furry community it was all through the 80s and 90s and the you know up to today for the my little pony community it's only been the past like five years and it's just like fast forward it's fascinating to watch (laughs) a lot of gatekeeping within these communities and any any case of like you're you're not furry enough or you're clearly only here because you're way into yiffing can we discuss yiffing on a disney show uh so i i will i will Put it this we way. Said, okay, we're not going to yeah. discuss vor fetishism, folks. Go to the Lou Reed <laughs> episode for that. Yeah, right. No, so um, at first there was a lot of gatekeeping, where it was almost like uh, there were a lot. There was a lot of um, divisive conversations, a lot of divisive problems between the various like Usenet forums and the various mucks and things like that. When the furry community was really in its like primordial state. Where people were like, "Oh, well, you're not really a furry." Like, you just you're not like really Bucky O'Hare, man. That ain't good enough. Actually, surely Bucky O'Hare must really qualify. It's it's animals doing a hu- you know the human drama. Uh, strangely enough, not very familiar with that piece of media. Oh my lord! It's uh, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, there's so much the right of it. Age I, for it. <laughs> yeah, I'll right? find you something. To, uh, you ever seen the intro sequence? I think I have. It sounds wildly familiar. I just don't think I've ever seen it. In another dimension, another time and space, a parallel universe is falling on its face. When out of the chaos, who else could it be? Bucky Animal Adventurers from SPACE! Bucky! Captain Bucky O'Hare! Mutants and aliens and toads beware! But to, but to your point, the, 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 the My Little Pony community does have that major gatekeeping, like I said. It's just that the furry community has become very... Um, well known for being very inviting and very accepting of everybody now where like you don't have to prove who you are or what you think to anybody it's just do you want to be here then you can be here and it's all cool Uh, while some of the My Little Pony community subsets and clicks are a lot more insular and be like well you can't tell me every episode that lyra heartstring shows up in the background when she's sitting in her particular pose like you you know you'll have people like that and that are like very protective of well i mean there's like there was people who cling to the idea that derpy hooves still lives and exists even though the uh production team have said definitely not um that they defy all um canon well, what's what's actually really interesting on that front for My Little Pony is uh, season five that was taken over by a different company than Hub that originally did it actually started dipping into some of what the fan community had had uh, written and done and talked about. So like Derpy is back and is even in a, at least one scene is the mail carrier and things like that. Uh, there's actually an entire episode in season five where uh, it's 
like the main six are in the background and all the background characters that people have written these elaborate backstories for are the main characters of that episode, including Lyra, including Bon Bon, including um, just, just everybody. Everybody's in it with like a voice and like something as simple as Vinyl Scratch and Octavia uh, living together is like a thing that the fan community came up with and that they make canon in that episode. So the it, it's it's interesting seeing how when it traded hands, the the people who are currently producing it are way more interested in catering to that fanon, if you will, gotcha. to make it canon. Uh, so again, a very strange, very interesting kind of, of setup going on there. Um, but to get back to furry today, there's not as much gatekeeping. It's actually much, much more open and inviting. And that's why you get people that from a certain perspective, give the community at large a bad name because you will have people who are much more vocal about certain fringe activities that they enjoy doing that other people who aren't a part of the community and don't know any better will hear and assume that they can apply it to everybody. They can generalize. Okay. Um, I can, actually, can we just say like all children listening, stop listening. Um, <laughs> well, no, no, I'm not going to go any no? further than that. Oh man. No, no, no. Uh, I'm, please. I mean, unless you, unless you Let, want me let's to. Let's go a little blue on this one. <laughs> I, I can give you a little, I can give you a couple of anecdotes of, uh, when I talked to people that had misconceptions, shall we say, if you could somehow um, keep it PG, just oh, use, yeah, yeah, use careful language. And we might still be able to scrape this through in a family tip. <laughs> Well, so uh, uh, recently there was actually a very interesting uh, encounter I had. So I went – there's a local meetup group for just geeks in Pittsburgh where I live. And we went out to dinner because we were going to go see a show. And it was a bunch of people I had never met before. There were like 19 or 20 of us. And we were all having dinner, all having a good time, meeting each other for the first time. And uh, Pittsburgh, my city, we host the largest furry convention in the world, Anthrocon. And uh, it's – Always, you know, it could be a topic of conversation anywhere you go because everybody has encountered it. So this one gentleman at the other end of the table who I hadn't really talked with sparked up – they were talking about anime conventions and he said, oh, hey, I heard that for Anthrocon, they have an entire floor of the Westin, the, the hotel, one of the hotels, set aside specifically for furs who like to poop in litter boxes. And I'm like, actually, That's a sir, half truth. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was like, we call them toilets. So I kept yeah. <laughs> Well, it was, I, was, I was like, actually, sir, have you ever tried to poop in a litter box? It's not easy. You, and and it's like, actually, no one does that. That is just a rumor that has been made up. That is not. A, I mean, I'm sure someone's done it at some point, but that's not what every like. There, there's not like the Weston isn't gonna cater to that. That's crazy talk. <laughs> like that's not a thing. Uh, and it, it's – I think it's important to point out that more anime conventions have been shut down for inappropriate behavior than furry conventions historically and certainly locally uh, to the point where uh, the local anime convention has had a really hard time finding a new hotel to host them while the furry community – while Anthrocon, all of the restaurants and bars in the area start catering to – the furry community whenever Anthrocon rolls around because we bring in crazy money to this city every year. 
uh, to the point where even bars that normally have like a you must you can't wear a mask you can't have a, any kind of covering over your head will suspend that for the weekend just so people wearing the full fursuit costumes can come in and have a beer. What happened uh, uh, was it last year or the year before? Basically, one of the cons was struck, and um, furries were being victimized. What was that? Oh, was that some so, game against stuff? <laughs> So interesting. Uh, so MWFF, which is the Midwest Fur Fest, it's in Chicago or outside of Chicago. Last, you know, two, no, it was last time, last year. They, it was last October, I want to say. They had an incident where somebody released uh, chlorine. Uh, a, a, it was a, it was a solid form of chlorine gas that quickly became chlorine gas and started poisoning people. They released it in one of the stairwells, and they had to evacuate the main hotel. A very good friend of mine and someone you know and talk to more regularly than po- possibly even I do that I don't want to no, no, no. mention. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, carry on. Yeah, I don't want to mention the name of because I don't want to out anybody. Uh he was there with his partner, and they had to evacuate the convention just like everyone else. It actually came up at work. There was a pretty funny story about that whenever he was just like, yep, kind of totally outed me on that one. But but yeah, so I, 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 we both know someone who was actually in that incident where they had to evacuate an entire hotel because somebody had released chlorine gas in a, um, in a stairwell. I think – I think there were like a dozen people that ended up having to go to the hospital too for uh, inhalation. <sighs> well, good for those pers- people who victimized the uh, the furry community. They they scored a real <laughs> victory. Well done, man. I, and I don't I don't know who did it. I, it might have even been a fringe or like unstable person within the community itself. Like I don't want to say specifically, but yeah, that that is a thing that happened recently, mm-hmm. fairly recently. Um, so yeah, so I think we've probably gotten a little bit far off of, off of Robin Hood specifically. Well, yeah, but at the same time, uh, we went far off of My Little Pony when we were talking about brownies. So, you know. Yeah, that's true. Bit, Cause it's all kind of tied in with it. Yeah. Like I said, this is like, this is like the, 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 the lightning bolt into the primordial soup that created the community. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's definitely should be part of the conversation. Oh, interestingly, Lou Fernandez just turned up on Skype as though he heard his name being cited. <laughs> it's like, did somebody say yiffing? Oh um, is there any uh, any other side or corner of the community that you'd like to talk about which actually pertains to this? Um, Let me think for a moment. Uh, Mm, not particularly. I mean, I I can mention that a very good friend of mine, one of my early, my earliest friends in the furry community, actually developed an entire module for Dungeons and Dragons based upon Disney's Robin Hood, because it had such an influence on him when he was younger. Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest, laughing back and forth at what the other has to say. Reminiscing this and that and having such a good time Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day Never ever thinking there was danger in the water They were drinking, they just guzzled it down Never dreaming that a scheming sheriff and his posse Was a watching them and gathering around 
Robin Hood and Little John running through the forest, jumping fences, dodging trees, and trying to get away. Contemplating nothing but escaping, finally making it. Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day! Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day! <laughs> we can bring this back if you want to. Well, well, the easiest one. Regarding Robin Hood, bringing it all the way back, uh, Robin is clearly a fox because a fox is sly. A fox is evasive. A fox can uh, can get away from the huntsman, and um, uh, you know clearly with this being uh, linked to Reynard the fox, he was never going to be anything else. Right, and also in most folklore that a lot of this uh, owes its heritage to, foxes were in positions of protagonist roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were usually – so Reynard the Fox, there are several Aesop's fables where the fox is essentially the main character, not necessarily the hero, but certainly the protagonist. Mm-hmm. So there's a long history of foxes being the quote-unquote good guy mm-hmm. that definitely translates through this. Maid Marian, of course, is also a fox because in the end they get married and snug that, and they didn't want to go into any kind of – Interspecies romance. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say no, she could it, have been a, a wolf or a, a dog or uh, – she could have been actually, anything. It, it, it almost seems like – well, I have to marry you, Marion. You're a fox just like me. You see any other foxes oh, yeah. around here? <laughs> she should have been a lion because she's the niece to yeah. Prince John and King Richard. Uh, but but it should be pointed out that her character didn't possess the qualities of a lioness, uh, like the, what that would have encompassed, uh, that kind of very uh, commanding matriarchal um, possessive kind of individual she was more fox-like she was more sly manipulative and and um mischievous almost especially during the big fight scene at the end of the archery competition if i remember correctly where she and robin are talking about how many children they're going to have while they're trying well yeah six oh at least a dozen like (laughs) while they're while they're actively trying to be shot at and skewered by the various guards i like to think that after they got married and they had their fox children they they basically spent most of their uh, adult you know sort of their their, uh, middle age uh tormenting various farmers and stealing their chickens <laughs> and things, and uh, yeah. and basically that the the the, sequ- the indirect sequel to this is Fantastic Mr. Fox. I was just going to say, and one of their great great grandchildren is Mr. Fox from the Fantastic Mr. Yeah. Fox, which is one of my favorite movies from the past many. It's years. lovely. I, I I got Lyra into Wes Anderson with it, so uh, you know I'm really really glad he went. Mark Como dismissed that film as yeah, it's it's a it's a grown up film that they've sort of plastered animation on to make it, a, you know, to package it as a kid's film. Uh, for me, it's it's a, a film for the whole family that they never, ever talk down to the children with. Yeah, absolutely. Didn't, isn't there some notes of some of some song from Robin Hood there that's is. actually... There is, Yesterday in- is Living like Yesterday. Plays on the radio and it is implied that uh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Fox listened to that when they were younger and courting. Yep, yep. Ah, me. Young love, oh, it's a grand thing. Oh, Clucky, surely he must know how much I still love him. But of course, my dear. Believe me, someday soon, your uncle, King Richard, will have an outlaw for an (laughs) in-law. Oh, oh, Clucky. (laughs) But when? When? Oh, patience, my dear, patience. Remember, absence makes the heart grow fonder. 
or forgetful. Oh, I've been away so long. What if he's forgotten all about me? No real reason why John's a bear, aside from the fact that uh, Phil Harris played him and um, he's a bear. He's literally... I I believe that if we saw shots of Phil Harris, he might actually be a bear. (laughs) A literal bear. Well, but in in the the old Robin Hood stories, Little John was depicted as a bear of a man. He was like big, strong, uh, like just somebody you wouldn't want to mess with, but generally pretty jovial unless you got on his bad side, which are aspects of a bear. Were there bears in England at any point, Sharon? Um, there may have been at some point. In fact, I think I'm pretty sure there were black bears in Scotland at some stage a long, long time ago when it was mostly. See, I remember a book I read, I believe it was a factual book called We're Going on a Bear Hunt. I don't know if it was set Mm -hmm. in England or not. Well, now most of the. Oh, we pretty much killed out wild wolves quite some time ago, although they're bringing them back. Yeah. And now most of the bears in uh, England are of a very different variety. They're very special clubs to you find. You have to uh, read certain magazines yeah. for, for those bears. Yeah. Oh, you know where my mind went? Yes, they're coming in suitcases and they live on marmalade. Oh, <laughs> so naive. Had a good... Oh, Sharon, it's adorable. No. <laughs> um, right, so um, <laughs> are we going to be able to sneak that one into the kids' show? Oh, I okay, don't know. so maybe we'll find so uh, Robin's hanging out in the uh, in the forest with his bear, and uh, yeah. the, the prince is a lion, but he's a straggly lion. He doesn't have a mane. He's uh, right. a pretender to the throne. So King Richard is a lion, and that makes sense because a lion is, is at least as folklore would have it, a very noble creature. Richard that the Lionheart. Yeah, literally character. the Lionheart, um, and also they're supposed to be the king of the well jungle even though there aren't any lions in the jungle so they're actually king of the savannah but i digress what you would say? this have been richard the first with the third being richard the third played by Ian mckellen bosworth field ah oh that's a really good question i'm not sure which king richard this would be I'm, i i know more about my my disney funny animal characters than i do about the actual robin hood richard the first king of england nicknamed coeur de Lyon or richard the lionheart he was of course french so he should have, as soon as he entered England, he should have gone, Mon Dieu, mon frère, c'est le prince Jean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so obviously, Prince John so being directly right. related to him. Sorry. Well, but, so obviously, Prince John being related to him would also have to be a lion, yeah. but he's depicted as a maneless yeah. lion or a lion that would be thrown out of his pride. Mm. Uh, I, fr- I think they're called Ronins. I think they're actually called Ronin Lions. I could be wrong That's on that. That's way too cool um, a name. Uh, rogue, I, I know, I've heard right? Rogue Lions. Uh, or, rogue um, Lions, It's certainly. what uh, Kovu is in Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. Oh, there you go. And so they're generally seen um, in some of the folklore that you can find and just generally like in culture that they are these kind of sneaking, kind of conniving uh like curs almost like that are uh, at the outskirts of the society trying to, to mates, get a, yeah. trying to steal the mate so they can make their own pride so they can like rise up to that level and i think there's a very specific reason why they kept him to be a lion because they didn't have to obviously since maid marion isn't a lion and is blood related supposedly so prince john is a lion because he represents that fringe lion trying to usurp the throne of the 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 lion heart the the actual like leader lion mm. 
And so that's that's why he's alive. Apparently, apparently <laughs> Miss uh, historically, um, Richard the First's mother did indeed prefer him to uh, Prince John. Oh. They were both real men, but they were also both real terrible. And uh, the, the, you know, the, the whole "Good King Richard" was kind of started way after the king had actually been around, because they had to present. You know, if he was a pretender to the throne, surely the pretender to the throne was pretender of a of a good Mufasa style lion, rather than just yet another yeah. despot out doing crusades and stuff. Yeah, and uh, I mean, and it, the victors write history, and also it's good to be the yeah. king. Um, so Hiss is a snake because he is surreptitious and slinks along, he, and uh, ultimately yeah. he needed a, a, a somebody he could con, you know conspire with who was sneakily yeah. sneakily snake. And he's the Grand Vizier role, and this is a uh, this is a role, and the snake has that kind of imagery all the way back to like Adam and Eve and like Paradise Lost and that kind of stuff, where the snake is depicted as this. Um, cruel and conniving uh in like force on the throne and that's why in aladdin jafar's main imagery is a snake yeah so i mean so it makes sense that his main advisor who gives him very questionable advice and who is himself not very imposing he likes to be kind of the force behind everything would be the snake hissing in his ear and then uh, the Sheriff of Nottingham is a wolf because especially in uh, England folklore, wolves are not a very positive presence as far as I'm aware. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but because obviously I'm not from England. I've only read the yeah, story. Yeah, no, wolves are demonized a lot in English folklore. Yeah, they're usually preceded by the words big bad for a yeah. reason. Ex- exactly. So obviously the Sheriff of Nottingham, who is both big and bad, uh, would have to be a wolf. Also, and since he, he was uh, based on um, uh, what's his name? Da, 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 da. Oh, uh, Eisengrim, who I think probably um, uh, may have inspired more Grimm in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which again presents some fantastic anthropomorphized animals. Mm, yeah, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is actually a really good, another really good example of of this. What I'm talking about: this animals as shorthand for. Uh, characteristics Um, and it should be mentioned that he was also that the sheriff of nottingham is the tax collector so he literally preys on the populace who are all prey animals for the most part or wounded predators like otto the dog like you mentioned earlier so uh there's i feel like there's a real reason why most of the like regular peasants are depicted as rabbits and turtles and uh these prey species and, and that are literally being I'm, – I'm saying literal. Oh, no. I'm, well, the tax collector is literally preying upon. So, yeah, it is – there's that relationship there that fits that – those characteristics very, very nicely. Mm. I um, did um, – not that it necessarily connects with the whole animal thing, um, but, Lauren, you might be able to give a bit of insight on this. The whole taxes are horrendous thing seemed oddly American. Oh, okay. <laughs> no taxes. I be- yeah, I believe the taxation element is there in the original Robin Hood stories. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, yeah. There's, I think- there's certainly an idea of of exploitation of the the peasantry, um, and yeah. that's that's obviously very clearly there in the Robin. But Hood. also, it makes but it, it just- a western as well. The idea of a vill- a poor village because Nottingham may as well be the poor cowboy village being exploited mm-hmm. by um, you know robber barons. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of that that's all kind of mixed together. And I definitely think you might be onto something with why it's depicted as such, because it's certainly a lot more demonized in this than. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, there's there's not much room in a a kid's Disney movie to explore, um, you know, the legitimacy or not of governments (laughs) taxing people for the benefit of, of the whole society. But I'm pretty sure that even in Robin Hood's day, they didn't go around stealing farthings from small children. Yeah. <laughs> and it would be certainly interesting to consider that this is a, you know, a, an English myth, essentially an English story that is being retold by Americans and highlighting this taxation there's probably something there. I'm glad they didn't stop the movie for 20 minutes to just talk to us about (laughs) Thomas Paine or something like that. But um, I can see that undertone being present, at least in the way that they depict Mm. Um, it. Lady Clark and Friar Tuck, they probably had a bit more leeway on like, what should we make these guys? And so they may have just sort of, uh, originally apparently Friar Tuck was going to be a pig, but they thought that that might offend um, religious people because they were suggesting that a filthy (laughs) animal might be uh, their their link to some kind of, let's face it, an animal god. If you're really going to think about it, they'd be praying to a giant lion or something. Uh, in that what, what's the um what's the uh what's the rabbit god in watership down it's like nymph for um mm, i can't remember now oh do you mean but yeah the so, the, uh, the death of rabbits well th- there's an actual god that they invoke in watership mm-hmm. down i can't remember is firth frith 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 f-r-i-t-h i want to say i haven't read that book uh, since i was teeny tiny and, and was fair. traumatized by that goddamn film. There is no age Lyra can reach where I can show her that film, and it will not upset yeah, her to I'm, the point where it wasn't worth showing. I'm pretty sure none of us are old enough for that film. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it that you and I, Lauren, always end up talking about films that I should never show Lyra? You have the last one being <laughs> Sucker Punch, which we will oh, never speak geez. of again. Yeah, yes, okay. Um, but I actually, I know this because a, a very good friend of mine his persona is a rabbit. And as part of that, he was very um, touched by Watership Down in a lot of ways. And he does embody much of the rabbit's like characteristics, but he will invoke that, that, that God at times somewhat ironically. So I think that's the only reason I remember it now. It just took me a minute to, to come up with it. But um, Lady Cluck is a hen because she is the, the matron, the motherly caretaker of Maid Marian. And what better representation of that than a mother? You're going to put a hen in charge of a fox. Bloodbath. Well, I mean, I think that's perfectly reasonable from a fox perspective, but it's it's a little less believable in the uh, the predator prey relationship. I mean, maybe they're all vegetarians. Who knows? Maybe. Um, and then. Friar we don't Tuxum. see them eating, do we? No. no, I don't think we do. Oh no, no, hang on. Um, the stew that Robin burns and uh, John tries to rescue has a carrot in it. That's the only recognisable piece of. So food that bear in. was going to eat huh? carrot stew. Man, like well, I said, pulled the face. He didn't want bear to. Is hard up. <laughs> um, and maybe they are all vegetarians in this world because think about how hard it would be to just be like, oh, I have to kill and eat you. You're my neighbour. You helped me. You held the lamb while I cut down that now tree Now we're in the branch. territory that We Hate Movies were speculating on for Zootopia. They were like, how is this even going to work? Yeah, I'm... By the time this show comes out, we'll probably know how it's going to work, or rather what they're never going to mention. Yeah, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, what, what's everybody eating? I mean, it's one of those, like, suspension of disbelief things, obviously, that, like, you can't... 
you, you can't really touch on it, but it definitely begs the question, like, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? Hey, bro. Uh, I should mention they said I couldn't that there eat is my colleague, actually... bro, but he was a sheep. What am I going to do? I'm a wolf, bro. I got to eat the sheep. And sheep are delicious. Yeah, delicious. And, and also, also, he was a bad technician. <laughs> <laughs> he got what was coming to him, bro. Uh, <laughs> Oh, God, now I just every want... Every episode now. now. Now I just want Wolf Marky Mark. Um, <laughs> he'd be like... He'd be a, a pit bull terrier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he would be. Oh, man. Yeah, nothing that, so, n- near merely so nothing. majestic as a wolf. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And so then uh, Friar Tuck's a badger in... in Folklore badgers aren't as common, but they're usually kind of um, there's there's a reason why Mr. Badger's a lawyer in the Fantastic Mr. Fox. They're supposed to be uh, mm-hmm. like uh, wisdom, honest, uh, like usually kind of in the background. Uh, they're actually usually folklorically speaking tied up with moles, I believe. Um, in a you lot might of be thinking of Wind in the Willows. Yeah, in in uh, in Wind in the Willows, Badger's almost more of a Gandalf character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the wise but, old man. I so the cranky old man. I'm, I'm quite amazed that like, badgers <laughs> are notoriously cranky. Yeah. So Friar Tuck's very the, mellow. Well, they're quite solitary animals anyway, but I think um, maybe it's got something to do with the fact that they are, because badgers are truly omnivorous, aren't they? They will eat pretty much anything. Yeah, yeah um, so, I think they're usually insectivores, actually, right, over anything okay. else. Okay, but I suppose you can kind of position badgers as being sort of a, a slight left step to the food chain. They're not anything's direct prey, although there are animals out there that will eat them if they can get mm. them. Um, and the things that they are preying upon are largely invertebrates and things that the other animals can kind of get away with. But also, if you catch them on a bad day, they'll take your face off. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and Friar Tux is a bit of a spitfire whenever you yeah, get in, you get in his angry. way. So yeah. that's the oldest box. Yeah. Also, I've, I mentioned this on the Prince of Thieves episode, um, but the actual the voice work is wonderful. Phil Harris, of course, dearly departed. Uh, most of the people in this again dearly departed. Let's just check. Sure. Uh, Some uh, of them very recently. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. Hang on. Um, 1973 because um, Andy Devane died um, like hours after Alan Rickman that was the main mm-hmm. Robin Hood death that was reported and, and uh, sorry uh, it was Brian Bedford uh, who played Brian Bedford played, uh, Robin Hood um, but uh, yeah he, he like as a child it was like wow that's the voice of purity that is the voice of a, a man who just wants to see the right thing done uh, but they managed to somehow subdue Robin's like severely anti-authority um, bent in that one. Like, how can you have a film about a man who steals directly from the king that he considers to be a despot and not have it be anti-authority? But they did hmm. somehow. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so Monica Evans as uh, Maid Marian um, still alive at this point, age seventy-five. Phil Harris. Died in uh, 1995. So that's, uh, that's uh, he had time to get Tailspin done. <laughs> tailspin that also has Little John or Baloo, if you will, because yeah. Baloo is the main yeah. character of Tailspin. Yeah, basically, it's it's a Jungle Book spin-off show where um, Baloo runs an air freight. 
company. Um, I believe he's up against Shere Khan as an evil executive. It's a very strange show. It's been a long time since I've seen yeah. that. Came out around about the same time as Chippendale Rescue Rangers and just after Gummy Bears. Yeah. I was always more of a fan of the uh, Darkwing Duck, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Or indeed, uh, DuckTales was quite popular around that. DuckTales, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Roger Miller, so, who uh, was the uh, the rooster in this, died in 1992, age 56. That's oh, speaking of... Speaking of which, though, Alan Adale, the, the, the rooster, is a reason he's a rooster, because he's a bard, he's a minstrel, and he's going about telling the story, much like the, the a rooster would crow, and they're considered like a, a, a like regal kind of creature, but not as not up to the same point as like a lion or yeah. a wolf. So like, there's a reason even for that. And Peter Ustinov uh, playing um, uh, Prince John there died in 2004. Uh, great philosopher, Peter Ustinov. And Terry Thomas, he died way ages ago, uh, uh, 1990. Um, uh, he was Sir Hiss. Uh, and so, yeah, this old oh, Pat Buttram, he was, the last thing he was probably in would have been, yep, Back to the Future 3, because uh, he died in 1994. Yeah, but this is the what happens when you start really reviewing things from a long time ago, especially animated things, because... Um, nobody had to really be physically active to be able to deliver the voice for them. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of sad because when you, when you go back to these cast lists and you realize not only have these people been dead, but been dead for decades. And so when you occasionally find these, you know, like you go, Oh, this is the guy from, from that thing. It's like a little bit of treasure you didn't know existed. And, uh, to that end, sometimes I don't like knowing what's, uh, what's everyone's, uh, full filmography, because that way they can always surprise me by suddenly turning up at something. Man, oh man, that Prince John sure made good his threat. And his helpless subjects paid dearly for his humiliation, believe me. Taxes, taxes, taxes. Why, well, he taxed the heart and soul out of the poor people of Nottingham. If you couldn't pay your taxes, you went to jail. Yep, I'm in here too. Nottingham was in deep trouble. Every town has its ups and downs. Some towns ups outnumber the downs. But not in Nottingham I'm inclined to believe If we weren't so down We'd up and leave We'd up and fly If we had wings for flying can't you see the tears we're crying? Can't there be some happiness for me? Not in Nottingham. The finale of uh, Robin Hood um, is basically just an extended jailbreak. It's, it's nearly a quarter of the film, and there's hardly any dialogue. It's mostly just... Uh, moving things around in a sort of a subtle, quiet infiltration and getting stuff out. 
and then they succeed. That's it. And Robin's reward is to be uh, married to Maid Marian, and then they go off to be happily ever after. And Skippy jumps aboard and is like, they're going to need someone to look after the kids. I just thought, yeah, they're going to need a snack. And about halfway to the tree that they're going to be living in, they're going to get peckish. The only other character around is going to be Baloo. He's driving the coach. Skippy is going to be too annoying. We've seen this film. It's when Donkey's going in Shrek 2. But they didn't eat Donkey at that point. They could eat Skippy. Maybe they should have. Yeah, maybe they should have. Would have prevented Shrek 3. Oh, <laughs> Wasn't there a Shrek it was, 4? It's lovely. I feel like... uh, it's, it's, it's worth oh, Shrek really? 2 and 3 for Shrek 4. Yeah. Oh, wow. I don't know about 3. It's almost <laughs> worth, worth Shrek 3 for, for, to, get, to, to get Shrek 4. If, basically, if Shrek 4 wouldn't have existed without Shrek 3... Well, I was going to say, then you have the plot. Oh, yeah, good point. So, that's, a, that's a Shrek 4 gag. Okay. Um, so yeah, my uh, my final question is the question I asked you a long time ago. What food is this film for you? Well, um, I mean, the first thing that came to mind with your description of what you were asking was just popcorn, as in the idea of like it's really enjoyable, but it's pretty light, and you can come back to it and appreciate it, and it doesn't really impede your day one way or another, and that it's just generally you know, pretty good every time you, you encounter it, but it's not something that you could do every day. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure which, uh, what food you were particularly... Oh, no, it wasn't angling. Reaching. There's no right answer to this. I'm just uh, I'm, uh, oh. wondering what it is for you. Sharon? I was actually thinking of those snap pea things. Oh, God, they're gross. That the other day. They're, <laughs> they're, really, they're really quite tasty, but they're very... Um, it's a very delicate flavour, and you don't really have to pay much attention when you're eating them, and you don't really have to worry about how much of them you're eating because they don't have. So it's exactly the same as popcorn. You just slightly varied it. It's basically the same as popcorn, but that's the first thing that po- that um, the pop. See, I was just going to say, uh, I was going to just head. say a bacon sandwich, just like uh, just a you know a light one, not heavy, not chucking too much into it, just bacon with a bit of ketchup, no, no, nothing fancy, just an old favourite. And you know when you're eating it, it's pleasant, and then when you finish, you go, oh, that was nice. Moving on. And uh, it's not going to yeah. fill you up too much. It's probably not particularly good for you because it's not going to add any any nourishment. Something about popcorn suggests that it's so light that you could just keep chucking it down you. That 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 to me is more like a TV show that you just keep binge watching. <laughs> uh, but popcorn never lasts that true, long. True, true. Whenever you sit yeah. down to eat some popcorn, it just it just disappears, and you're like, oh, okay, well, it's gone now, but I guess. Also, with popcorn with me, there's those hidden horrible hard bits where you you got to be careful when you get close to the end. And it's like, <laughs> if, if that that would be the same with this, if it had sudden like you know the, the possibility that it might get into a scene where Prince John just shanked Robin while he lay <laughs> dying in a church where they worshipped a lion so god. <laughs> I sacrifice you to the great Mufasa. Um, um, yeah, I was real. I was really tempted to be a little cheeky and say that the what food would this remind me of? Well, rabbit, obviously. Oh, I'm starving. <laughs> I would say, um, what's your what's yeah. your totemic animal, uh, Xavier Fox Shandy? But I think we already know. Oh, well, yeah. 
Yeah, well, my my fursona is, of course, a fox, specifically of the swift fox variety, if you want to be more specific. But I do also have the additional totemic for uh, raven, which is, uh, folklorically speaking, very, very similar to fox in a lot of ways. But also my full name, if you go back to the original uh, Gaelic that it derives from, literally means the prince of the black ravens, because my dad's an awesome guy. There were um, two characters in the first ever version of uh, New Century in the original books. That's exactly what I was just thinking. And, and, um, <laughs> one of them is Raven, who has just reappeared in New Century in a very different form, but his protege was named Fox. So that is. <laughs> uh, hmm. And uh, there was also a character named Tiger, who was about as far different from her as you could possibly get, but... <laughs> if, if I've got a totem animal or a uh, persona, uh, it's it's very definitely a tiger for me. Oh, it's interesting, actually, uh, bringing up tiger's eyes. You do quite frequently. Um, oh, your your character for at the same time. At the yeah. same time, it's very relevant to because so much of me went into that book, and so much of everything I care about is going into New Century that it does feed back into everything I've ever watched. Oh yeah, and and Haral, the character, uh, the depiction and the embodiment of the tiger-like characteristics, uh, strikes a chord so much with the tigers I know in the furry community. It's actually one of my very very best friends is a tiger. If she hasn't and heard, or he is it he or she? She she she's actually the animation uh, master that I oh, mentioned man. earlier. Okay, right. Well, get get a tiger's eye for Chris for uh, just just now. <laughs> just get her it. She'll appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, she probably would actually quite a bit. Just find out if she prefers to listen to it or read it, and where you can. <laughs> oh, I can lend her my copy. No, I should probably buy her one, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a classy thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can gift it to her on Kindle unless she she prizes paper over all else. More more paper, more of a paper person. Okay. So. Well, lend her your copy, and if she never gives it back, I'll buy you another. <laughs> there, there we go. go. Well, I have to get it back from my dad first. Oh god! Yeah. Okay, well, if you can if you can prize it out of your dad's paws, then great. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very taken by the uh, fact that your dad liked it. Yeah. Oh man, he he gushed about it quite a bit actually. Whenever I was prying him for his awesome. opinion, you know it, that this concept of animal characteristics as shorthand for uh, a person or a personality permeates all kinds of media, not just things that are explicitly furry. It's just those who have a particular fondness of seeing the world through that, shall we say, cat's eye lens are just, they've created a community where they can uh, relate to each other on a more uh, subtle level, shall we say. We shall. Okay, um, right, so any any more on, on Robin Hood until we do some other Robin Hood story? <laughs> Yeah. The, old, the only thing, the only last thing I wanted to mention and related to it is uh, before I mentioned that the very community fandom was was called Funny Animals, that was because most of the anthropomorphic animals were of a comedic bent, like the Looney Tunes, and this was the first time that it was a dramatic That's a fine point, characterization yeah. Yeah. So that this is when that concept of the funny animal matured into what it is today or began that maturation yeah. process so i think that's an important thing that i wanted to bring out specifically from what i was saying earlier forgive me a cruel chuckle <laughs> Power. Mm. and how well king richard's crown sits on your noble brow doesn't it a king richard
that I told you never to mention my brother's name. A mere slip of a forked tongue, Your Majesty. <laughs> We're in this plot together, if you don't mind my saying so. And remember, it was your idea I hypnotized him and... I know. And sent him off on that crazy crusade. <laughs> <laughs> Much to the sorrow of the Queen Mother. Yes, Mother. Mother always did like Richard best. <laughs> Your Highness, please don't do that. Mm. You don't mind my saying so. You see, you have a very loud thumb. <laughs> Hypnotism can reach you of your psychosis so easy. No, none of that! None of that! Well, I was only trying to help. <laughs> I wonder. Silly serpent. I, we have to start on. I can't. I can't whistle it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Right. Thank you very, very much, Lauren. And if people want to hear more from you uh, on, say, I don't know, Year of Steam, where could they? You can find me on the Year of Steam podcast. At, uh, we're on Podbean. You can find us on iTunes. Just look for Year of Steam. It is me and my co-hosts Ian Hopwood and Laura Kate talking about random games that we play on Steam as we slowly, slowly, laboriously work through our rather enormous backlog of games. And sometimes it's great and sometimes it's garbage, but we always try to have a good time. Comes out every other week and yeah. Uh, I have been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And school's out. And down with that scurvy Prince John. Yeah. All the world will sing of an English king a thousand years from now. And not because he passed some laws or had that lofty brow. While Bonnie Good King Richard leads the great crusades on. We'll all have to slave away for that good-for-nothing John. Incredible as he is inept, whenever the history books are kept, they'll call him the phony king of England. Apart from the phony king of England. from mom while he's sucking his thumb. <laughs> you see, he doesn't want to play. <laughs> Too late to be known as John the First, he's sure to be known as John the Worst. A pox on that phony king of England. Lay that country on me, babe.
slices us to pieces and he robs us of our bread. King Richard's crown keeps slipping down around that pointed head. Ah, but while there is a merry man in Robin's wily pack, we'll find a way to make him pay and steal our money back. A minute before he knows we're there, old Rob will snatch his underwear. Sniffling, rolling, nearly wiggling, glaring, 